there, this is Katie Brinkley, and you're listening to Rocky Mountain Marketing. This podcast is all about helping Colorado-based small business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals discover the strategies and systems that take their marketing to all new heights. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. My guest today is Nate Ishi-Lapgard. Nate is the founder of Kite and Dart, a group of business strategists supporting non-traditional entrepreneurs. Self-described as the most reluctant entrepreneur in the room, Nate started Kite and Dart to create a curated community of entrepreneurial activists committed to using their businesses to affect change. He'd always had a head for business, but the traditional model of entrepreneurship really didn't appeal to him. Finding himself entrenched in the business world, Nate used the opportunity to break the old system and build a new one. As a business strategist, he supports entrepreneurs interested in leading with their values, inclusivity, and transformation. Nate, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what life was like growing up for you. So I grew up in the East Bay Area of California, in a very diverse place called Union City, California. And we lived there until I was in fifth or sixth grade. Moved to Aurora, Colorado in the early 80s, and I've been in Colorado ever since. Um, I was a musician, and I was super into music and art the whole time growing up. Awesome. What, uh, what instruments did you play? I was, a, I was a tenor saxophone player for ah. the majority of my early career. I you played, as well? I played the saxophone, too. I played the alto saxophone. but uh, I started on alto, and I moved to tenor when I was in high school. Yeah. Yep. And then um, the band department had a bass guitar and I started taking it home and I learned how to play bass. And so then I started playing in metal bands. And then in the 90s, I went to a rave. Wow. And I started DJing and making electronic music. And so um, I've been a professional electronic music producer and DJ for uh, over 25 years now. Awesome. Yeah, I also play the bass guitar, um, but I've not, (laughs) I know, uh, but I have not made the move into uh, dance music or DJing yet. (laughs) Nor should you. you. It's a, it's a veritable rabbit hole of nerdiness that I don't um, recommend to anyone ever. (laughs) Um, And so I learned, we joke a lot at Kite and Dart that I learned everything I, I learned about branding and marketing and business development. I learned from, from DJing, but don't tell people, wait, so, well, I, I was going to say, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you think mm-hmm. that your, your upbringing impacted your eventual career and professional journey? I mean, you've got a lot of uh, different interests and hobbies to, to where you are now. I didn't, I didn't come to um, the entrepreneurial space through traditional channels. So I don't have a big degree. Um, I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I just like noticed early on that I got excited about, well, first, I mean, we started doing shows cause I want to play more. Right. And it's hard to, as a musician, get gigs unless you're throwing them. So that's where it started. And then, um, but I mean, early on, early on, like when I was four or five, I would get all my cousins together in the back room, of my grandma's house. And they would like, I'd get them to draw pictures and then I'd have them put a price on it. And then I would go sell the pictures to the people in the front room. And then I'd come back and give the money to, my cousins and just keep a little bit for myself, which was funny. <laughs> so I was, when we, when we were writing the bio for this, that was a discovery for me too. So there's been this kind of like entrepreneurial streak that's permeated my whole life. And it was more like a discovery of something I made later on in life. I had also had a business um, 
about 10 years ago where we did natural food product demonstrations in natural food stores like Whole Foods and natural grocers in, you know, the region. It was called Soapbox Demo Services. Yeah. So, so take us through your career journey a little bit. What, what different professional stops have you had along the way uh, to, to starting this? I mean, tons, right? In my 20s, I worked in... I worked at uh, Best Buy and Car Toys and for in the wireless industry. And in my early mid twenties, I'll date myself, was the time when um, cell phones started being digital. And I, so I worked in that industry for a long time. And I got trained by some of the best people in the industry. I got trained by um, Scott Schuette, who was the vice president of or the director of sales for Best Buy when I was nineteen. I was trained by a gentleman by the name of Paul Evanson, who was the national director of training for. Um, Starbucks, who came to work for Car Toys for a while, was trained to be a sales trainer there. And so in my 20s, I was involved a lot in uh, retail sales, retail sales training, uh, business development for, uh, you know, wireless companies. So I had, it, you know, and then I had like a big breakdown in my late 20s and I started working for uh, in the service industry. And I started really pursuing my music career. I did that for a while. Uh, and then I went to work for Whole Foods in my late, no, my early 30s. So it was about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I got to work in that organization prior to the, the Wild Oats merger. So I, I worked uh, at Whole Foods when every single person at Whole Foods was full time and had full benefits. And that was really where I started to understand or have an experience of that there could be a different way to run businesses that worked. Uh, and I was treated, I cleaned the floors in the meat department when I worked at Whole Foods and I ended up being the regional demo coordinator there. And I was treated the same the whole time. And there was just a profound experience of that, of that culture that really was like the beginning of my interest in this kind of philosophy we have called entrepreneurial activism. And John Mackey is nothing but an, if he's not an entrepreneurial activist. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the things that you kind of try to preach to new entrepreneurs. So first and foremost, like what I'd say is, is you're probably right. You're probably right about, you were probably more right when you first thought of the business that you are now and that your initial intuitions as beginning entrepreneurs are, are generally correct. What happens, I think, to entrepreneurs over time is they start to get really interested in what other people think about their ideas. And I think one of the fundamental problems that we have in our culture is that the understanding that we have of entrepreneurship isn't through the lens of understanding what works for a small entrepreneur that's not running with a ton of capital, kind of like your story, Katie, right? A lot of us are, are entrepreneurs by this combination of choice and necessity. Right. And the way that we have understanding business in our culture, the businesses we see, the ones we do most business with, they're not running on these budgets we have. They're not like trying to break into markets that aren't or that are difficult. They've just been there forever. And I have it like what applies to large publicly held businesses run by conservative people isn't necessarily applicable to a startup entrepreneur. I also think there's a big difference between business advice that sells and business advice that works. Well, and that leads me into my next question. If someone is listening right now who is an aspiring or new business owner, what is the single biggest piece of advice that you'd want to give him or her as they, as they start their journey? 
They have to optimize their initial revenue stream. Okay, so so there's a lot of temptation in early business to start getting invested in a lot of things that that don't make any sense. And the first one is a website, right? So let's talk about this. So every entrepreneur, they start a business and they're like, I need to have a website. I'm like, oh my God, all right, okay, great. So they'll go and spend four, five, six K on a website or hours and hours and hours themselves. Now I'm not saying like, we don't need a website when we start to establish viability, but unless you have an accompanying 1500 to $2,000 in you know this SEO budget, nothing's gonna happen, right? So the biggest thing I see in the beginning is entrepreneurs focus more on the development of the business and less on the transaction of the business. Businesses, the information for how a business works lives inside of the relationship with clients, right? Like, like a discovery. So if you're just getting started, go sell some stuff, right? That's the first thing. Let the information about what to do next in your business come from the market. Don't let it come from your brother or your sister or your uncle or some weirdo on the internet or whatever. Like gather data based on what's so because every business is different. You know, every business is different and every business, you know, has different clients, different customers and and different needs that go along with it. And having a website is very, very important. But if you've already spent four or $5,000 on the website and you still have your first client, then you've just wasted a bunch of money for, for nothing. I mean, we say interaction is different than conversion. And I think because we live in a culture where folks, and Katie, I'm, I'm going to speak your language. You can clap for me <laughs> if I nail it. So first of all, intera- interaction is not conversion. And we live in a world where most folks are in the digital space interacting, right? And like what it is to get someone to like a fo- post on Facebook is a lot different than what it is to get them to become a client. And we say, you know, we never use computers where people will work and we never use people where computers will work. And when it comes to what we call the phenomena of conversion, there's no substitute for human interaction. All all the information is there. They're in the people and in the relationships and the conversations around our business. And the more we can be in conversation and communication with clients and prospective clients, the better off we are. Yeah, I think that you bring up a really good point. And and that brings up two different ways of doing social media and digital marketing. A lot of people, I I can't stand it when I see business page, just it's being, they're being like that person in the room when you go to a party and you're talking to the person and actually they're just talking to you. All they're doing is talking about you, talking about themselves, talking about themselves, talking about themselves. And then Uh they get up and leave the party and you're like, my name's Katie, by the way. And I feel like so many uh, social media business pages, that's all they do is just talk at you. It's not right. an actual conversation uh-huh. and it's not, a, not social. You can't uh-huh. say you're on social media if you're not going to be social. Well, there's this tendency, I think we, so we, I love that by the way, I think it's great. And what I hear you say is, is that nobody wants to hear anybody talk about themselves all the time. So we distinguish this this way. We say that how we've been taught to market, old school marketing is transactional and human beings Human beings are not transactional by nature. They're relational. So when you come home and you see your wife or your husband or your partner after work, you don't break out the spreadsheet and calculate 
how many hours they spent with you and how many hours that you spent with them and what that looked like. And then use that data to determine the next course of action in your relationship. No, this is what we are going to have for dinner tonight. The right. data Based shows the data from right. We don't do that. No, <laughs> we're relational creatures and all businesses are about relationships. I mean, anybody ever sold anything was one person selling something to another person. That's it. It's always human beings. So we've had to distinguish this relational marketing bit. And one of the things we talk a lot about is consent. And we say that like, when you are out there in the marketplace and you're saying something to someone, you ought to think about what they've consented to in the conversation, back to your, your, your example. When you're at a party and you're talking to someone, you're consenting to have a conversation. You're not consenting to a lecture. And I look at all this marketing and it's horrible and it's bad and it's rife with tacit accusations and it's totally transactional and it's not relational. And I think that every human being wants to know about the human being on the other side before they start making a choice of whether or not to work with them. And this is another big missing. I think it's because when we first start our businesses, we're super insecure and we feel like we need to qualify ourselves all the time. And here's another thing I'll tell you, new business people, ready? Anyone who's in a conversation with you about your business already accepted you as an expert because if they didn't, they wouldn't have been in the conversation unless, of course, they're an MLM person who makes up a meeting with you from a networking group to pretend they're buying from you, but then tries to sell you something. That doesn't count. But other than that, anyone who's expressing interest in your business already accepts you as an authority. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wasted the time. Very valid point. And I think that a lot of small businesses might actually be second guessing themselves like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I am just a mechanic. No, I mean, you're, you're one of the best. You're, you're so good that you're able to open up your own shop. Tell us, tell us why we should bring our car to you. That leads me into my next question here. What do you think the biggest mistake business owners make when they're trying to grow and sustain a successful business is? Oh, this is a good one. So it's something I call false equivalence. The biggest mistake I see entrepreneurs make is assuming that what worked for other people is going to work for them. If you look at the factors that influence whether a business is going to be successful or not, it's too huge to comprehend. There's And when you're looking at a business from the outside in, you can't see all the way back to the beginning. And even if you could, it would be irrelevant because the market has shifted tremendously since then. I mean, we're in, we're in post-COVID market. This market right now, Things I was doing that was bringing 50 people to a webinar four weeks ago are bringing four now. So markets are always shifting. So even if you could look into a business and see what they did, the market would still be different. It's an infinitely complex series of factors that influence a business's success. It's not understandable. You can't look at another business and know what worked and what didn't because you can't see the whole thing. We have to have a different place to come from, which is just like copying. Or, and, and that's okay. I mean, you have to have some frame of reference when you start a business. And this wholesale assumption that like what worked for someone else is going to work for you is just crazy. It's just not true. Well, and th- there would be no leaders then if, if everyone was able to do things the exact same way. And I think that a lot of small businesses uh, and entrepreneurs always need to be ready to try something new. You know, like you said, you had a webinar a few weeks ago that had 50 people. Now, now you're lucky to get four. 
let's not just stop all the webinars. What else can we add to it? What, right. what else can we do to try and be ahead of that next shift, that next right. change? And one of the things we do is we teach entrepreneurs to get a different way of making choices in their business. We call it inside out instead of outside in. So instead of looking at competitors in the market, what we say is this. If you are trying to say you're different than your competitors, the same way your competitors are trying to say they're different than you, you're all the same. It's, it makes me think of that line in the, the Incredibles movie. Everyone is special, Dash. That just, I love that, Katie. I say it all that. That's just another way of saying no one is. Now, oh, it's so good that you know that. I like you. I was going to say, so the best we think and what we teach people to do is instead of like emulating other businesses to really look at themselves, what they care about, what they're great at, and make decisions based on that. That would be weird. It would be radically empowering. And it would be completely different than what we've been taught about business. Because, you know, you go to school and you get a D in a class or an A in a class. Which one do you study harder? The D. The the D, yes. So you're trained your whole life to put energy into what you suck at. And I got news for you, folks. If you're out there like I was when you started your business and you don't have a lot of business acumen and you don't have a lot of extra cash on hand, you don't have time to get good at anything. You've got to figure out a way to do business right now. That is what you're good at and what you care about right now. Because you're always going to be better at what you're good at now than something you have to learn. And you're always going to be better at doing things you care about than things you hate. Exactly. Exactly. I I think uh, it's best said that you always want to try and hire people that do your job better than you and hire people to do the things that you don't want to do so you can still continue doing the stuff that you're the most passionate about. Right. And when it comes to business development strategies, we need to grow our businesses in ways that are consistent with what we are already good at. So, you know, when you grow a podcast audience, you don't do it through blogging, you do it through podcasting. Right. And it's the same thing all across the board. People are it's obsessed with this idea that they have to be different, that then they have to be different than who they are and better and, and better at things they're not good at in order for their businesses to work. And if we took all that energy of trying to be better at what we're not good at and copying other people and just got authentic to ourselves, we'd have a much better chance, a much better chance of succeeding because we would automatically be distinct in the marketplace. I'm so t- This drives me crazy. Like businesses, now every business owner is different. I work with a lot of them, work with 175 of them in the last four years. They're all different. They don't have to do anything to appear different other than to just be authentic to themselves. Why are we not doing that? Ugh. And that's what people are what's going to make someone want to do business with you is that they like you. They like your business and mm-hmm. what you bring to that business. Right. What social media has done to the buying choice is that consumers are a demand to know more about who they're buying from because our brains are now used to knowing a lot more about a lot more people than we've ever known. Exactly. It's so much more than just uh, a logo. Now you, you get to know the employees, when is their birthdays, how long they've been at the company. And you feel like you have that key to the back room when you take a little deeper, like what, what drives them? What do they care about? What matters to them? What kind of people are they? Why are they in this? That's what I want to know. Exactly. And, and, and if you're out there, your prospective clients, business owners, listen to me, your prospective clients want to know that stuff before they know about your qualifications. And when you lead with your qualifications and not why you're there, 
all you're doing is transactionalizing a relational conversation and it's not going to work and it's going to hurt your conversion. And, and all that a small business has to do is make more money from a client than it spends getting one or time. Because that's it. It's all you have to do. You have to get clients in less time or with less money than you make from them. That's it. That's all it is. It's capitalism. It's easy. It's so, key to so, doing that is to be in the marketplace, express, self-express. So tell us a little bit about your model. What's your model look like for finding and engaging and selling to your ideal clients and customers? So we talk a lot about marketing based in empathy and consent. So the first thing we try to do is we try to be empathetic to the folks that are out there. So we know that every business owner that owns a business is getting completely inundated and just basically barraged by a plethora of folks who are in the same space we are, the consulting coaching space, that claim they know everything. So the first thing we do is we understand that we cannot approach prospective clients to build a relationship if we're coming from this place of we know more than you, we don't, which is also not true, by the way. Nobody knows more about your business than you do. Anyone who tells you they know more about their business than you do is totally full of it. Anybody who says that they know more about your business than you do is full of it. That's not, just not, you can't. So when we show up in this space, what we try to do is make a contribution to folks, whether they buy from us or not. What we want to do is give people an opportunity to discover for themselves what matters to us. By, not the words we say, but the actions that we take. So what we do is we do a lot of work in the diversity, equity, and inclusivity space. We do a lot of, of content and webinars that are free. We do a lot of free coaching. We do a lot of work with folks up front inside of the relationship building space so that they can be informed and empowered to make a choice for themselves. We also don't believe that you can convince anyone of anything. And so our whole business development strategy lives inside of empowering people to be free to choose. What type of marketing have you found works for best for your business? Uh, I mean, all you have to do is just post about your business on Facebook and everyone buys stuff. <laughs> We do a lot of, we do event-based marketing. So we're big on community. We have products that are what we call group coaching cohorts. So our, our and, and I live in the community. I run the business inside of a community. I have a trusted community of advisors and a business partner and consultants. And I, I don't, that's how we run Kite and Dart is like a lot of people have, I pay a lot of people to tell me what to do. So that being said, we try to we try to expose people and give them an opportunity to decide for themselves whether or not we're their kind of people first. And we do that a lot through events. Prior to COVID, we were doing a lot of in-person events at the Commons on Champa, which is where we're officing. And now we're doing a lot of webinars. And we're in that digital space with everyone else and everyone's come into the digital space. So we're working now to just provide a unique experience that has a lot of value and then that's fun and that's reassuring, kind of like what you're doing, Katie. <laughs> like we're out there in the marketplace right now, just really trying to support entrepreneurs, whether they pay us or not. And I think that that is the, the best way to try and get a lot of new clients by if, if you establish yourself as a thought leader and giving something to them for free, they're going to realize I could just pay you to, to do it for me because you guys know what you're doing. Yeah, totally. And it's about people. You've got to respect people. Nobody's stupid out there. I mean, that's another fundamental problem I think that we have with marketing in general is like we're running from this point. Transactional marketing just assumes that well, what P.T. Barnum said, there's a sucker born every minute. And that's not in our space. I don't want to work with suckers. I want to work with discerning clients who are super committed to using their businesses as tools for transformation 
And those kind of people aren't going to react very well if I show up in the space saying, hey, I know more than you do. And if you don't buy from me, you're an idiot. They don't like that. I don't like that. They don't like that. It's weird. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And how has that impacted your business or your life? What a great question. I had a guy, a mentor early on in this. He said, just stick to what you're good at. I was trying to grow out and add some products and services to our our offerings that weren't what I was great at. There was stuff I was interested in, but it wasn't what I was great at. He said, just stick to what you're great at. And, And we've taken that the whole time. I think that's a really valuable piece of advice. Uh, one that I had to come to myself, even with mm-hmm. with my business, because I was doing everything. I was I was trying to to, to build all of the websites, and I was trying to do yeah. SEO, and I, and then I had to kind of sit back and be like, "Look, I'm spending more time on doing some of these projects that are my least favorite thing to do." I had to just kind of sit back and be like, "These are the things I'm most passionate about. The whole reason that I started this business was to do more of that." I don't need to be a a Jill of all trades. I can focus on what I'm best at and build a team to do some of these other aspects that I just don't have the time for. And it's, it's taking too much time away from the things that I am most passionate about. Yeah. We say scale up, not out. And we want, we want people to be elevating the, the value by, by getting really, we want entrepreneurs to become connoisseurs of what they're great at. That's we don't we don't want them looking at the competition and trying to emulate something and just that's just I get it like that's how you've been trained but that's not what we want people doing we want them really getting acquainted like familiar with what they're really good at and then getting rid of all the stuff that they're not good at and just like first of all saying do we even need to do that in this business and then secondly saying okay if we say yes get someone else to do it and we want them doing that over and over again because that's how we think businesses optimally scale they scale by by getting better and better and better at what they're good at not by getting it's not like turning a d into an a it's like turning an a into what's after that's what we want people to do and that's how they stay out of competition because they become unique authentically unique and 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 isn't that what a business is is a tool to serve others anyway so why don't we want to have businesses that just teach us how to help people better love it yeah it works too thanks i got it i love it too i love what i do before we finish up, is there anything that I didn't ask about today during today's discussion that you think is important to share? I think we covered it. I, I mean, what you didn't ask me is like, how can folks learn more about our business or how can they buy something right now? Well, but that's I, my I next question. That. Nate. I appreciate that. That, that, I say, that, that, that is my next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our website's www.kitedart.com. Kite like you fly and dart like you throw. Folks can go on there and they can click a link to go to Eventbrite, or they can just Google Kite and Dart Eventbrite and come to one of our webinars. Awesome. We do a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah, and there's contact form on the website. So what we recommend is for people to come in and do something with us uh, in that observational space and decide for themselves whether or not they think we're their kind of people. Once they decide that we're their kind of people, then they talk to us, and then we decide if, if they're our kind of people – and if we figure that out, then we talk about maybe we could do something. That's great. And I, I do think that's a very valuable uh, tip too, because sometimes mm-hmm. uh, as a business owner, you need to make sure that the client is as much of a fit for you as you are for them. Oh, you mean we don't have to, that the key to success in business, Katie, isn't bending over backwards for a bunch of jerks? And not just cha- taking <laughs> any client that comes your way. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean what my wife says is no, you mean no is access to a more powerful yes? 
Exactly. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Well, Nate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Today's been a great discussion. Thanks, Katie, for having me. It's been really great to get to know you. And thank you for the difference that you are out to make in the world. And thank you for providing this resource for entrepreneurs just from the kindness of your own heart and out of your commitment to make a difference for people. I see that and I acknowledge you for that. Awesome. Thanks again, Nate. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rocky Mountain Marketing. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can visit my website at www.nextstepsocialcommunications.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look for Katie Brinkley. Let's keep taking your marketing to new heights.